Holding cash is a guaranteed way to lose money. Today's video explains exactly why and what you can do instead. So stay tuned for more. Hi guys, my name's James Corsier and welcome to the Money Paradox podcast, where we're all about helping you become financially free so that you can focus on what you really want from life. Today's video is all about holding cash and why it is such a terrible idea and yet so many people do it. Now wait, I'm not talking about your savings, your emergency fund. This money is super important. If problems happen, you wanna make sure you got money on hand to sort it out. You get ill, you need to be able to fix that. You lose your work, you need to be able to live off that money for a little while so you don't go homeless or are begging on the streets for a bite to eat, right? Guys, definitely don't do that. Definitely want that emergency fund. But this emergency fund doesn't need to be huge, guys. It doesn't mean like a year's worth of your income, okay? It can vary depending on your situation, how reliable your income is, for example, okay? So yes, you need an emergency fund, but two, don't make it too crazy big. So now we've got that out of the way, why is holding cash such a terrible idea? Well, guys, it's inflation. It eats away at your money, burrows away like a little parasite. Good analogy is like pouring water into a bucket, but with holes in it. You can pour water in it, and if you pour water in fast enough, you can get it higher and higher and higher. But guys, those, bucket, those holes is gonna just drain your bucket dry eventually. And the numbers are pretty crazy. So if you imagine, say, a 3% inflation rate, which is pretty common, uh, you know, if you go back, long-term average is like that over long periods of time. So 3%, you're like, yeah, whatever, what's 3%, right? In a year, I lose 3% of my money. Well, I got loads of money, who cares, right? Well, it's not so simple. If you, for example, Look at this chart, guys, all right? You start off with 10,000 pounds. Pretty decent amount of money, right? Got that in the bank, nice and relaxed, feeling good, feeling protected, feeling like you're in control of your finances. Okay, so what happens? Let's say we fast forward 10 years, not that long. Your 10,000 drops down to a 7,500. That is a 25% loss. 25% of your money is gone. Now the reason is because you still have that 10 grand in the bank, but in the value of today's money, it's worth less, right? So yes, you can spend 10 grand in 10 years if you've kept it in the bank, but the cost of goods in 10 years is going to be the equivalent of you having seven and a half thousand pounds now. That getting confusing? Essentially, it means your money is worth 25% less. That's big, right? And let's fast forward 40 years. Now, 40 years, you're like, that, that's crazy, that's so long. Well, that's how long we live, guys. That's how long we work in a typical career. So if you just keep your money in cash savings, this is the kind of returns you're gonna get. A 70% loss, that's your returns, guys. In 40 years, you just hold your money in the bank 
assuming a 3% inflation rate, which is pretty standard, you are down to effectively £3,000, a 70% loss. You've lost almost all of your money. Again, you still have that £10,000 in 40 years. It's just the value of it is 3000 in today's money. It's like going out and spending three grand's worth of stuff, right? It's a lot less stuff you can buy. So guys, inflation is rubbish, all right? It's rubbish for people who are in cash. The next thing is, actually, inflation can be a lot higher than that. And at the moment, people are freaking out about inflation. Inflation has been going up recently by quite a lot. But first, let's look at historical numbers. Take, for example, in 1975. In the UK, it was a whopping 24%. Just think about that. In one year, your money devalues by 24%. I mean, that is insane. And in today's world, we just can't imagine that. But in 1975, it's like not that long ago, guys, like your parents were around then, like many of you guys watching this video were around back then. That is the kind of inflation rates we were seeing. In the US as well, 14% in 1979. Crazy numbers. And the key thing is that this wasn't just like a freak year on its own. Like a lot of the years around that, the inflation rates were pretty mental. 1975 to 1980, so this is a five-year period, the average inflation rate in the US was 9%. Pff, crazy. You would lose a third of your money in just five years. So it's not like you get free one-offs around this. When you start to get high inflation, it can stick around for a long time and your money goes down quickly. Next thing I wanna talk about is that many are concerned that the inflation rates that governments are putting out, like the UK, like the US, are actually higher. Some people say it's conspiracy, some people say it's them trying to not make everybody freak out and realize that their money is devaluing by the extent it is. But whatever your thoughts on it are, there are definitely things to pause and think about in terms of what is going on at the moment. So one example that was very transparent is that not that long ago in the UK, we moved from RPI to CPI. Now they are two effectively different calculations for inflation. Previously, we used RPI when we talked about inflation in the UK. Now, when the government talks about inflation, they use CPI. Now you don't need to worry too much about all the intricacies of them. But what you do want to know is that broadly speaking, the CPI figure is 1% less than the RPI figure. So almost overnight, the UK is now stating inflation rates 1% lower than they were before. So it makes things sound like your money is devaluing less. Now, one of the examples of this is because CPI doesn't use, for example, your mortgage costs, okay? So there's different things in them, but RPI was a very successful measure for a very long time. The next thing is in the US, the US have been making a whole load of changes in terms of how they calculate inflation. 
And interestingly, the way they calculate it now is very opaque. You cannot see the calculations and due diligence how the US calculates their inflation. Now, I'm not saying the numbers they spit out are incorrect or falsified, but what I am saying is a lot of changes have happened and you don't know exactly how they came to that figure. So it's on trust and the way in which they're pulling out a figure is changing. So how can you be consistent in how you can understand what that figure is? Just like when we went from RPI to CPI in the UK. So my message there is just because you're seeing a figure on a government website or in a paper doesn't mean that's exactly what inflation is for you. You could be doing different things, spending on different things. So think about that. It's a much bigger topic, even though inflation just seems like one word, really, it's a whole big thing. Okay, so inflation. At the moment, it's not crazy. It's not like double digits or anything. So you're like, you know, whatever, it's not too crazy. I wanna stay in cash for a little while just to be safe, and I'm not losing too much money that way. But when you compare it to assets, things that you can invest in, like the stock market, like gold, like other areas, these assets across the board have been going up phenomenally over the last few years. And the reason is because of so much printing of money from central banks. This money goes into economies, sloshes around, but it needs to ultimately go somewhere. And that somewhere, more often than not, is assets. Because the people with the money wanna invest and build with this money. And the way they do it is by investing in assets. So for example, if you take the last five years, the stock market, if you check out this graph guys, 104% increase, 104%. You would have doubled your money in five years in the stock market, like that is insane, okay? That on an average yearly basis is 15%, a 15% return. So you're like, that is really good returns. But there's another step because if you weren't invested in the stock market, and you've been sitting in cash, allowing your money to devalue because of inflation, when you then ultimately, at a later point in time, go in to investing in, say, the stock market, you're investing in something that's at an even higher value. So effectively, your money is worth less relative to the value of assets. So you don't wanna think about inflation just as a consequence of what you can buy to use, to consume, but also what you can invest in. Another example, gold. Check out this graph, guys. Gone up by 33% in just five years. And this is just a lump of metal. The reason is because gold is considered to be a storehold of wealth. So when all this money is sloshing around, people wanna put it somewhere to feel like they're protecting against, say, inflation. Now I could go on with many different asset classes. We've been seeing phenomenal returns across the board in asset classes. So this isn't just specific to the occasional asset. But you say, guys, there's all these risks at the moment. Look at long-term bonds. In just one year, 
it went down by 13%. Look, I've got the chart here for you. 13% drop, and actually, when you compared it from April of this year, it was an even bigger drop. And this is something that's considered to be safe. Bonds, government bonds, losing a huge amount of money. And then you're saying, well, look at all this stock market, guys. Such massive returns over the last few years. It's gonna crash. It's gonna crash by like 50%. 2008, dropped by 50%. 2002, dropped by 50%. 2020, early on, March around then, 20% drop. Like guys, if I get my cash and I put it in the stock market and other things, then I'm just gonna lose all my money. Yeah, okay, you've got inflation, but these things could lose by way more. You're right, that is a risk. And you could lose more money in these asset classes than if you just held your money in cash and eroded it by inflation. That can happen, that is a true risk. But the key, guys, is that if you invest in cash, i.e. you just keep your money in the bank, you are guaranteed to lose money. Think about it, you're guaranteed to lose money because inflation will always exist. And there's a concern that inflation is escalating. If you look at the last few months, inflation in the US and the UK have both gone up dramatically. Let's have a quick look. In the US, it's currently 5.4%. That's pretty high. Almost double you know, what the average long-term trends are. At the beginning of the year, it was just 1.4%. So it's gone up by over three times in just a few months. Now, that might not last, it might come back down, but you can see how quickly inflation can escalate. So what do we do, guys? You know, we've got this inflation that's guaranteed to erode our savings and cash, but we have all of these risks. If we invest in assets like the stock market, like gold, like real estate, like all of these things, well, we could lose even more money. And then what? Then we're stuck. Then we're stuck not being able to retire and all of this good stuff. So how do we navigate these stormy waters? Well, the first thing, guys, is have an emergency fund. That is a no-brainer. We talked about that at the beginning, okay? You do need an amount of money for protection, that if something goes wrong, you get ill, you lose your job, there is money there so you can bridge that gap between your current situation or when you can get back on your feet. But if you allow that to be too big, you're going to erode your wealth, you're gonna stay poor. So the number one rule is be invested. If you're not invested, you're never gonna become financially free. You're just going to get to financial security. You're gonna have money there in emergency, but that money will never build to financial freedom. And do you want financial freedom? Well, I hope so, because that is a much more freeing life. That is a life where money doesn't restrict what you want from life. But how do we be invested in a way where we can navigate these big risks? And the key is diversification. So every asset class will have its day where it will crash. It will drop by over 50%. It's inevitable. It's just the way the world works. Stock market has crashed by over 50% at times. The real estate market has, gold has, commodities have, crypto certainly has. All asset classes will do that. Now, if you invest in just one asset class, then you could get really stuck 
because you could go through a real big drop in value and then if you're required to take that money out, use that money at that drop, then you're gonna get very stuck. But if we diversify into different asset classes, then even though one asset class we're invested in has gone down, other asset classes will have either stayed the same or have gone up. So it's important that those asset classes are what we call weakly or inversely correlated. And that just simply means if one goes down, another one goes up. Or if one goes down, maybe one just stays the same. So that not everything is dropping at the same time. The other key thing though, is to make sure you're balancing your risk carefully. So some things are gonna be more volatile, have more propensity to drop down a lot or move up and down a lot. So if we don't wanna take on too much risk, what we can do is we can invest more money in the assets that have a lower potential to move up or down or to drop by a huge amount. So that way we're spreading that risk in a more even way. So a really good example of that is the Ray Dalio all-weather portfolio approach. The stock market investment is higher relative to say gold and commodities. And the reason is, is because gold and commodities move up and down much more than say the stock market. Just one example, just to highlight it, there's many others in terms of portfolio approaches. Another way is we can invest, sorry, we can diversify geographically. So instead of just investing in our home economy, we can invest across the whole world. We can invest in Europe, the UK, the US, developed economies, emerging markets, all different areas. And that means that even if one area does badly, another area may do well and calm things out a little bit. And you can do that by investing in stock markets, so investing in different areas of the world, but you can also invest in companies that operate in different areas of the world or are based or listed in those particular areas. You can also invest in different industries. So instead of just going hardcore on tech, where tech went up crazy amount over the last few years, but dropped loads recently. So that oh, up and down seesaw, very scary. But if we invest in different industries, so a bit of tech, a bit of value, a bit of consuming goods, whatever, then even if one area suffers, another area may do well. And then lastly, platform diversification. So if you invest all your money through one specific platform and that platform has a problem, it fails or you can't access it due to concerns by the government, then you could be quite stuck. And when you've got a lot of money, you might wanna spread that out into different areas to protect yourself. And also there are certain limits often in terms of how much money is protected in one platform. So you spread that out, you increase the amount of money that is protected. The next thing you can do to navigate these storms is patience. What I mean is increase the time period in which you're operating in. So take the stock market. Okay, yeah, 2008, 50% crash. 2002, 50% crash. 2020, 20% crash early on. But these crashes were very short-lived. If you take 2008, it recovered a huge amount of what it lost in the next year. Same with 2020, dropped by 20%. But how much did it pop back up straight away? 
by the end of the same year, it had gone up phenomenally. So yes, you can get these big drops, but over longer periods of time, the returns are more reliable. Now, different assets need longer time periods to get a more reliable return. Take the stock market, we're talking long, long term, like 15 years plus. So if you don't wanna wait that long, again, another reason to diversify into other areas to minimize that overall risk of a drop. Next way is to get an edge. And this is what I really like because by doing this, we can improve our returns and reduce our risk. And we do that by putting more in than we would normally. That could be more time, more skill, more knowledge, more effort, more energy, more focus, whatever it is for you. But by understanding more what you're doing, you can better understand what those risks are, navigate around them, or protect against them, or get a better return by taking a different approach in what you're doing. Now, in something like the stock market, that is difficult to do. The vast majority of people do not beat the market no matter how much time they spend on it, even these professional active managers. But if you take areas that are more business related in terms of how we invest, so for example, real estate, a great example. I love real estate. And the reason why is because you spend more time understanding the industry or pick an approach that requires more effort in which to operate in, you will get a better return. Now, I'm not guaranteed because there are certain risks, but it is just the fact of that industry, right? You pick a more complicated or an approach that takes more time to do, you get better returns. If you learn more about the property industry, you're gonna understand how best to operate in that space to reduce the risk and improve the returns. It's just the way it works, and I love it. It's not for everybody, but it's a great way to improve those returns and reduce the risk. There are other areas, just in normal business, in other areas. If you work hard in a business, understand it, put more effort in, you're going to get better returns. So this isn't for everybody, but it is an opportunity if you wanna spend more time in the area investing. And then lastly, guys, understanding your psychology. And this is huge because there are many things about how the human brain works that really work against us when it comes to investing. For example, like it's hardwired into us for FOMO and fear. Take crypto, for example. It's like a more extreme version of it. Early on this year, when prices were going up crazy, right, from like Jan to May, everybody was talking about it. All of the people I was working with and friends, family, everybody was talking about it. And everybody was either wanting to get into it or was already in it, putting more and more money. As soon as it crashed and continued to crash, all of the conversations I was hearing about crypto started to go less and less unless and now I rarely hear about it. Isn't that interesting? So what tends to happen with human psychology is as we see prices starting to go up and up and up and up, we start getting fear of missing out. Everybody's making all this money. I want to make money too. So as we see it going up more and more and more, this pressure to want to buy in at a high gets increasingly stronger. But then as things start to crash, and go down even lower, 
then we start to getting scared. We start to freak out. We start to think we're gonna lose all our money. And then we start to buy less or even take our money out. We sell low. And this concept of buying high and selling low erodes a lot of our potential returns. Now, for example, if you're aware of that, what you can do is you can put in certain rules that allows you to protect against it. So for example, dollar cost averaging. If you put money each month, regardless, the same amount each month, no matter what the price is, it protects you against buying high, selling low. You just keep buying. You buy, you buy low, you buy high, you buy mid-price, all of the different prices, right? And so over time, you just don't care about those storms. It's just weather on a particular day. Another great way is to follow an approach where you rebalance. So if, for example, you always have 30% of your portfolio in the stock market and the stock market goes up in value, then what happens is your 30% increases. And so therefore you either need to sell the, the stock market or buy more of other things to rebalance to get it back to 30%. So you're selling low, sorry, sorry. you're selling high. But if the stock market starts to tank and goes down by 50%, your portfolio share of the stock market goes down and so therefore you need to buy more into the stock market to get back up to the 30%. Again, that allows you to buy low. So you're selling high and buying low. Even though when it's super high and you want to just put more in, actually you're being forced to take out. When it's super low and it's been crashing low, you're like, oh, I don't want to buy it. You're like, no, that's my rule. I follow the rule. So that is a good example of how understanding human psychology generally, and in particular ourselves, we have a particular nuance. By understanding that and navigating around it, putting certain rules and principles to get the best of ourselves and protect against these damaging behaviors can get a much better return for ourselves and also reduce the risk of investing. So guys, I hope you found this video useful. If you did, please do give me a like because it really helps with the algorithm, gets this video out to as many people as possible. If you've got uh, your own thoughts on this, whether you agree with me, disagree with me, I would love to hear about those in the comment section. Whatever you put in there, I will be sure to reply and give you my thoughts back. Let's get a discussion going. And then finally, if you want to see new videos on this subject and other topics that are all about helping you become financially free, then please do hit the subscribe button to find out, to be notified, sorry, of those videos as they come out. That's all from me and I'll see you next week.